Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Clumsy Theosis. I am your host, Rochelle Lucero, and today I want to start off by thanking Brian. Brian, thank you for your donation to Clumsy Theosis and for the message that you sent me. I'm so happy that this ministry has been able to bolster your faith life as well as that of your girlfriend. Friends, if you have benefited at all from the work that I'm doing here at Clumsy Theosis, please prayerfully consider donating. All of your donations go back into the ministry to further your growth as well as those of other people's. Okay, so we're going to get started today with the second century of Christianity and talk about Christological and Trinitarian heresies of that time. And today I'm going to be starting with a Christological heresy called adoptionism. And I'm doing this because if you're listening to these episodes back to back, adoptionism was influenced by not one, but two of the heresies that we covered in the last episode on the first century. Since these will both be fresh in your mind if you're listening back to back, it will be easier for you to recognize and to appreciate the ways in which adoptionism was shaped by both of these two heresies. After we talk about adoptionism, we're going to cover two Trinitarian heresies. One is Marcionism, and the other is modalism, which is also sometimes called Sibelianism. But before we get started, I would like to ask you all to pull out your phones and to text a friend about this series that we're doing on the Trinity. Get someone to listen along with you so that you can have someone to talk with about everything that you're learning. Or if you just want to spread the word about clumsy theosis because you're enjoying it in your life. All right. Adoptionism came in the late part of the second century, and in a broad sense, it's a theory about Christ which says that Christ, as in the man and only the man, is the adoptive son of God, and that would be God the Father. And therefore, at the time of his adoption, Christ was then elevated to divine status. But when was Jesus supposedly adopted by the Father? It's believed by adoptionist that this happened at Jesus's baptism. At that time of Christ's baptism, we can read today in scripture that it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so according to adoptionist, it was at this time that Jesus was adopted by God the Father and then given his supernatural powers to go on and do the miracles in which he performed. But we know that the Apostle John tells us outright that this was not the case. In the very first verse of his gospel, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ, the Son, is the Word. He's the Word of God. And so he was always in existence with the Father because he was there in the beginning, And he was always the son, and therefore he was always divine. Now, in our last episode, we ended with Ebionitism. Remember that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but only the human Messiah, the anointed one, but not a divine person. This false belief 
from the first century influenced this second century heresy called adoptionism. But see, Ebionitism wasn't the only culprit here. The Trinitarian heresy that we know as monarchianism that we've also covered in our last episode also influenced the budding of adoptionism because monarchians, they believed that God was only one single solitary person and that person was God the Father. The monarchian belief that God is singularly the Father, together with the Ebionite teaching that Christ was just a man, this is the basis of adoptionism. For adoptionists, though, Jesus had been made divine, whereas, you know, Ebionites, they did not believe that he was ever divine. Adoptionists believe that, yes, he was made divine, but this was only at his adoption by God the Father. But from this point of view, that also meant that Christ was not necessarily equal to the Father. Since in John 14, we know today, and this was part of their oral tradition, that Jesus is recorded to have said, My Father is greater than I. This was the basis for their belief that Jesus was in some way inferior to the Father. And just like the Ebionite heresy denies the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus, so too does adoptionism. Adoptionism was formally rebuked in the 190s, but then it experienced some decently sized resurgences in the 8th, 12th, and 14th centuries. Now, we're going to go back to the middle part of the 2nd century because there was a bishop in what we now know as modern-day Turkey, and this bishop had a son who could not reconcile the revelation of God given to us by Jesus, that understanding of God, with the God of the Old Testament. Now, this man, the son of the bishop, this man was named Marcion, and the heresy that he taught about the Trinity was named after himself, Marcionism, but his heresy comes from Docetism, and if you recall, the Docetists that we covered in the last episode, they said that Christ only appeared to be a man. They denied that he was born, and that he lived, and that he suffered, and some of them even denied the reality of Christ's human nature altogether. Marcion and his followers were dualistic, just like the Docetists and the Gnostics, meaning that they believed in a good God, and that would be the father of Jesus, and a bad God, who was the creator of the world and the God of the Jews that we read about and we know about from the Old Testament. And because Marcion couldn't reconcile the revelation of Jesus, they couldn't reconcile that with Yahweh, who seemed to be vindictive, mean, and jealous in the Old Testament, he ended up stripping Christianity of all of its Jewishness. He didn't want any Jewish roots attached to Christianity at all. And he did this by making his own collection of scriptures. And basically that just consisted of a mutilated version of Luke and some of Paul's epistles. And anything that were in any of those writings that said anything positive about Judaism was removed. And Marcionism actually grew to very large numbers. And according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, it was perhaps one of the most dangerous foes of Christianity. And this is yet another example of how far astray someone can go when they don't understand the many covenants made between God and man throughout history, the covenants that ended with Jesus, the last and final covenant. And when I say this, I'm referring to salvation history. And for me, I think I take salvation history for granted. So I was wondering if you guys, are you interested in learning about salvation history more in depth? And that would mean all the covenants, what they consisted of, 
who represented humanity during each covenant. Um, people like Abraham, Moses, David, and so on. And then we'd also cover those times in the Old Testament when God seems to be mean, unloving, or even wrathful. By going over this, we'd go over the correct way to interpret these instances from the light of the covenants, what was agreed upon between God and man, and get a very beautiful view of salvation history. All right, just let me know if that's something that you would be interested in. And you can do this by sending me a direct message on Instagram at Clumsy Theosis, or I will probably put up some polls on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram stories within the next week. So follow me on those platforms if you don't already, and it's at Clumsy Theosis, and just kind of let me know if you're going to be interested in something like that. And then now we're going to go back to the latter part of the second century, and we're going to talk about modalism. This was a Trinitarian heresy started by a man named Sibelius. And Sibelius was excommunicated excommunicated in 220 AD. But sometimes this heresy is referred to as Sibelianism because they're referring to its founder rather than the concept which kind of summarizes the heresy. You'll see why it's called modalism in a moment. Now, just like the Monarchians, the modalists, also known as the Sibelians, they denied the Trinity because for them, God was one. He was, there was no way that he could be three persons. He was just one God, one person. But they had to account for Jesus and the Holy Spirit in one way or another because this was part of the tradition. This was part of the revelation. And so they had to account for them without calling them persons. So this is what they did. The way that they decided to explain Jesus and the Holy Spirit was to say that they were different modes of God, M-O-D-E-S modes of God, meaning that the way that they made distinctions between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was to view them as three different energies or modes and not persons. And I find this fascinating. But if this is true, then how do we explain Christ's presence here on earth? Now, according to modalists, God the Father appeared on earth in the mode of the Son. But see, there's a few problems with that, and their opponents have been pointing this out from the very beginning. First, the line of thought that asserts that the father, who was in the mode of the son, but still the father nonetheless, this line of thought says that the father would have been the one who suffered and died on the cross. And there's a very big problem with that explanation from the point of salvation. Now, the second thing I would like to bring up is that it makes absolute nonsense of passages in scripture that show Jesus talking to the father or declaring that he's going to be with the Father. Like, how do you account for those? See, one role of a person cannot go to be with another role of that same person. See, their logic, it just doesn't make sense. Don't tell anyone, but without my knowing it, I was kind of a modalist back in the day. See, I never really paid much attention to the definition of the Trinity, but when I thought about God, it was in a similar view as the modalist. And so I'm so thankful that I was able to learn about the history of the faith because it's so beneficial. I mean, think about it. You're following the revelation, like that means what God has revealed. You're following the revelation that God has given to his church in the sequence in which he gave it. Our understanding is being built on sturdy, solid ground, meaning that your faith life, your interior life, once you have that strong foundation of truth, 
Your faith life is free to explore the vast relationship that you're intended to have with God within these very strong, solid parameters of truth. You know what I would love for everyone to do between now and the next episode? Just check yourself. Ask yourself that big, scary question, am I a heretic? No, I'm joking. I'm totally kidding. I mean, hey, it, it was helpful for me to look <laughs> to look at the big picture and be like, oh yeah, I think I, I probably subscribed to that uh, heretical false belief. Now, this is back in the day, so don't get nervous. This was like nine, 10 years ago, something like that. But I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't taken the time to learn about the heresies, about the Trinity and Christ, because once you know what they are not, that puts you in a safe area to explore who they are based off of the revelation that they've given to the church as well as to you in your prayer time. But back to what I'd like everyone to do. For the past two episodes, we've been focusing on the intellect and processing and retaining all of these facts that have happened in the history of the church. But this information alone is not going to help you in theosis. See, theosis requires transformation, which is only attainable through relationship with the persons, plural, of the Trinity. So what I would like everyone to do is to take note after every time that you pray, who are you speaking with and listening to? Is it the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Do this for three days, and at the end of those three days, notice if you have a more robust relationship with one over the other persons in the Trinity. Or if there's one person that you don't seem to have as much of a connection with as you would like, then for the sake of simplicity, just choose one person of the Trinity that you'd like to get closer to. If it's the Father, we have the Our Father prayer. This was given to us by Christ to help us to get close to the Father. Sometimes I think we're so used to the Our Father that we tend to rush through it and we're not really paying attention to the words that we're praying. So say the Our Father as often as you can, at least once a day. Say it slow, repeat the lines, and then ponder them in your heart. And then invite the Father to help you understand what it is that Christ has given to us in this prayer to help us to have that relationship with the Father. Now, if you want a deeper connection with Jesus Christ, the Son, in the Eastern churches, we're really big on the Jesus prayer. And I don't know how many people are familiar with this. I'm finding more and more people are. It's a very simple prayer that goes, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pray this as often as possible, multiple times throughout the day. It's it's a prayer of repetition, actually. You say it over and over, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. And ideally, you can make it part of your breathing. So as you inhale, you pray, Jesus Christ, Son of God. And you're taking Christ into yourself when you do that. And then you exhale. You release control and you offer your whole self to Christ, trusting in his promise of mercy. You're leaving yourself behind and you're being united to him as you pray, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you do this over and over with your inhales and your exhales. And let me tell you, it's a very powerful prayer. Now, if you would like to be closer to the Holy Spirit, Byzantine Catholics have the best prayer that I have ever encountered about the Holy Spirit. And we even chant this during our liturgies. And every time I'm always moved by it. And it goes, Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, everywhere present and filling all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O gracious one. 
Pray this prayer often. And I'll be posting this prayer as well as the Jesus prayer, probably even the Our Father, on my website, clumsytheosis.net, as well as my social channels. So you can look out for those in this coming week. And this way you, you have something that you can pass on and share to friends. Now, I find that making habits like these can be tough without having an accountability partner. I think this would be a good time for you to invite your friends to do this with you and check in with each other every day, every couple of days, and see how you're doing and how it's going. Text that person now before you forget. Give them the info on how they can listen to this episode as well as the previous one if they haven't listened to that. And then ask them if they'd like to join you for the next couple of weeks on this challenge. Now, before I sign off, Aldo. Aldo donated a few weeks ago and I can't remember if I thanked him. If I missed you, Aldo, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. I appreciate your donation. And then Allison. Allison made me my first piece of fan art. Like I never thought that I'd get something like that ever, but it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. It's a watercolor picture of the Clumsy Theosis logo. And I just, I need to get around to framing it. And when I do that, I will share it on my social channels. Now, speaking of which, I'm crazy easy to find on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Clumsy Theosis. Keep up with what I'm doing, how the Lord is speaking to me, and just reach out to me and share your voice because what you have to say is important to me as well as to the church in general. All right, everybody. So follow me and we're going to have some fun in the next coming weeks as we're covering the Trinity. And actually, just a heads up, the rest of these heresies are mostly going to have to do with Christ. So that's really exciting because understanding how Christ is both fully human and fully divine can be a little bit of a brain teaser. But once we go through these heresies, I think it'll make it more clear and make you more excited for how awesome God is that he could do something like that. All right, everyone, until our next episode, peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.